0: Praise the Lord, Saints. It's a privilege uh, to come before you. Let us pray as we continue in our study of uh, Advent. Uh, Just lift up your hands before the Lord. Let's just thank Him. Thank you, Father, for this family that we're a part of. Thank you, Father. That you have a special interest in this people here, Lord. Thank you, Lord. We're so grateful. We're so thankful, Lord. We're so grateful and so thankful, Lord, that God, you're creating a people, a family, Lord, that loves you, that wants you, that desires you, that want to serve you, want to fulfill their call and their purposes in this life that you would be glorified, that you would be magnified. Thank you, Father. God, you're cultivating this house. You're cultivating us, Lord. Thank you, Father. That even now that you're releasing us, Thank you, Father. We praise you today. We magnify your name, Lord. We take nothing for granted. Everything this far, Lord, is for your glory and your glory alone. Thank you, Lord. Be glorified. Be magnified in the midst of your people, Lord. Father, we thank you. Now let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight. Be acceptable. My strength and my redeemer. Amen. Glory to God. Amen. Praise the Lord. Amen. We've been talking about Advent, and uh, this is our second installment of Advent. And... uh Out of all the messages or all of the themes out of Advent, it is the theme of a time to repent. (laughs) Out of all the things. And uh, I've been doing that. I mean, I've been weeping all week. Oh, God. And so even now, I just feel like God is releasing a spirit of repentance in the house. To us, this pastor been praying that we'll be that that people pliable. So this week, we're going to continue that that tradition of Advent and believe it around the world. Even right now, all around the world, there's a people who is uh, commemorating Advent. And they're also uh, teaching and preaching on this lectionary Particularly, Matthew the 13 chapter, which, excuse me, the third chapter, which we were going to read together. And then some of those scriptures have already been released in the atmosphere, such as Isaiah the 11 chapter and Isaiah the 40th chapter. So uh, let's open up with uh, Matthew the 3rd chapter. If we're going to talk about John the Baptist, if there was any a man <laughs> that could preach the message of repentance and the kingdom of God, it was John the Baptist. John the Baptist. And we're going to look at his three things we're going to look at. We're going to look at the man. We're going to look at his mandate. And we're also definitely going to look at his message. The man, the mandate, and the message. And you can't separate the three. You can't. Even if you try, when you read the text of John the Baptist. He is the message. He is the voice. He is the man. He is the mandate prophetically from the prophetic tradition that we have read out of Isaiah, the 40th chapter in verse 3, prepare you the way to Isaiah, the 11th chapter. He sounds like Isaiah and he looks like Elijah. So let's look at Matthew's chapter 3. Unfortunately, I'm going to be reading from the New King James Version. If You're able to pull that up. Matthew chapter three, we'll start with verse one, verses one, and we'll go down to verses 12. That would be our text today as it relates to a time to repent. In Matthew, the third chapter, it reads, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one, crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Now John himself was clothed in camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and wild honey. I many like to have that diet? <laughs> then Jerusalem all of Judea and all the region around the Jordan went out to him and were baptized by him in the Jordan, confessing their sins. But when he saw many of the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, brood of vipers who warned you to flee from the wrath to come. Therefore, bear fruits of wor- worthy of repentance and do not Think to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father, for I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree which do, does not bear fruit is cut down and indeed bat, uh, cut down and thrown in the fire. Verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat in the barn, and he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Glory to God. Praise the name of the Lord. Quickly, just give us the purpose of this series as we continue on, and I want to reiterate those words, is that we, the, the main purpose of this series of Advent, a time to repent, and next week we'll learn more, Last week, I think it was a time to watch, and we'll continue on that on that vein. And that is that we want to highlight Jesus within God's story. Jesus is the reason. Jesus is the center. Secondly, we want to clear, bring clarity to the gospel as the good news that the kingdom of God has come into earth in Jesus Christ. And lastly, we want to allow ourselves to be formed and shaped and to his likeness and to his, his image during this church calendar of Advent. Our objective is to prepare our hearts and to live between Christ's two coming, as Pastor Ben uh, ministering, his birth and his second coming. And we're gonna do that. We're gonna immerse ourselves during this four weeks of the story of God and the arrival. Of our King Jesus Christ. The major thing for today is a time to watch, excuse me, a time to repent. As I said before, we're going to highlight, start out with highlight the life of John. And believe it or not, John is a, his his history, context, is a very fascinating story. And we're going to look, go back a little bit. Let's go to uh, Luke, the first chapter. And we're going to look, his his story is similar and parallel even with the miracle of Jesus' birth. So in Matthew's gospel, excuse me, Luke gospel, let's look at this. And we're going to read verses 5 through 14 from Luke gospel. And we're going to look at the context of Luke about John the Baptist. Verse 5 says, there was in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abiha, his wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinance of the Lord, blameless. But they had no child because Elizabeth was bearing, and they were both well-advancing years. And so it was that while he was serving be- uh, as priest before God, in the order of the division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went out into the temple of the Lord and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside of the hour, the hour of incense. And then the angel of the Lord appeared to him standing on the right side of the altar. And when Zachariah saw him, he was troubled and fear fell upon him. But the angel of the Lord said to him, Do not be afraid, Zacharias, for your prayer is heard. And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. I want to look at verse 13 here quickly. The name Zachariah means God remembers. God remembers. And here you have a man of God who had been praying for a long time. And the angel of the Lord pierced to him and said, God has remembered your prayer. You know, there's, for God to hear your prayer is for God to answer your prayer. You know that? His wife name, guess what? His wife name, Elizabeth, means God is my oath. God is my oath. In essence, both of their names means that God will remember his promise. God will remember his promise concerning you. And even as they've been praying for many years, the answer came through the angel of the Lord. Verse 13 says, And you shall call his name John. And guess what John's name means? God's favor. God's favor. We find here in this text that God remembers his promise. He remembers his oath and he rewards them with his favor. And that favor was John, John the Baptist, you come to find out here in verse 15, we're going to learn about the man and also his mandate and this message. In verse 14, let's continue. And you will receive, you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and shall drink neither wine or strong drink. He will also be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb and he should turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he would also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts and the fathers to the children and the disobedience to the wisdom and of the just and to make ready a people for the Lord's And so we find here in Luke 115 on the prophecy concerning him, that he will be great in the sight of the Lord. Jesus' commendation of him, we find in Matthew 11 chapter. And uh, Jesus says, there's no prophet greater than John. Imagine that. No prophet greater than John. Here's the deal. John was the forerunner to bring in forth the kingdom of heaven. And for 400 years, they have not had heard the voice of God. And John would be the first voice that they would hear for their arrival or for the coming advent of the Lord. The mandate of John the Baptist, we'll go back to Matthew, the third chapter. In fact, his mandate is also here in verse 13 is that, verse 17 is that he will also go before him in the spirit of the power of Elijah and that he will make ready a people for the Lord. I believe the mandate for John the Baptist is threefold. threefold. That is, he is to preach, he is to prepare, and he is to present. To preach is that he was to pre- preach repentance for the kingdom of heaven is near, is at hand. It's about to arrive. To prepare, that is, getting ready a, a people, a nation for the arrival of the Messiah. And thirdly, to present the Messiah to him. Go to John, Messiah to them. John, the first chapter, verse 29, quickly. In John 1, we hear this call right here when John sees Jesus coming to be baptized of him. In John chapter 1, verse 29 It says that the next day, John saw Jesus coming towards him, and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I have said, After me comes a man who is preferred before me, for he was before me, and I did not know him, but that he should be revealed to Israel. Therefore, I came baptizing with water. Three things I believe the church is also called to do, and that is to carry on this same mandate. That is, we are called to preach the gospel. We are called to bring forth the gospel, to preach truth, to preach Jesus, to preach him crucified, to preach that he is the savior of the world. We also to present him, his likeness, his character, to be salt and light in the earth. We are to present Christ in person and in presence. How many know we are the body of Christ? And although Jesus is not physically here, but guess who's here? His body. His body is. And just as John the Baptist was the forerunner for the first advent The church, in many ways, have that same calling to be the forerunner of his second advent. And that's why we got to preach. That's why we have to present him. And that's why we have to prepare, make ready a people. You know, this is what this is all about, to awaken, equip, and sin. That's what that's all about. In essence, what are we doing? We're preparing a people for his return. We're preparing the people for him to come back, to arrive again. And so our mission is in line with the mandate of John the Baptist. And guess what? There is an anointing. There is a power. There is the anointing and the power of Elijah that even John the Baptist have. We, the church, also can go forth and be that voice in the wilderness to be that voice in the wilderness of this world. Notice that that is John's platform. His platform is not in the temple. And there's a lot of people who's looking for this platform, whom I dare not to envy. But his platform was where? It was in the wilderness. Being a voice, crying out in the wilderness. And many of us here, our platform is in the wilderness. The wilderness of this world to cry out, to reach a generation. John was that preacher. John was that one that was a, a preaching change, a changing of a generation. And we also have that same mandate. Even as we awaken, equip, and sin, we are making ready a people. John was a prophetic voice to a generation for a changing of a generation. And every generation of the church is called to be a prophetic voice to that generation for a changing of a generation. Whether it's 60 years ago, whether it's 80 years ago, whether it's 2,000 years ago, every generation of the church is called to be a prophetic voice to that generation for a changing of a generation. Thirdly, the message... The message of John. Let's go back to Matthew, the third chapter. And as I said before, you cannot separate his mandate. You cannot separate the man. You definitely can't separate the message. They're interconnected. They're interdependent. They're interrelated. John says, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at home, at at hand, excuse me. John's message was twofold. John's message was transitional and preparatory. Transitional and preparatory. He was preparing and also at the same time, in fact, where he was baptizing in the Jordan River was between the wilderness and the promised land. And so he was that one who was to prepare and pass on the baton, that when he was in prison, Jesus picked up the baton, and his first message was what? Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Today, we are to continue to echo that message. In the book of Acts, we find that same message after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Peter gets up, and he began to preach the gospel to them. And their hearts was convicted. And they said, men and brethren, what must we do? And he said to them, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the remission of your sins. And you shall receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit. We have the same message, the same mandate, and the same spirit of John the Baptist. The significance of baptism is this. And I'll be short with this, is that Jesus was baptized. John was baptizing a baptism of repentance. And when he came, Jesus came to John and he said, listen, man, I need to be baptizing you. Listen, <laughs> you need to be baptizing me. Literally, he was saying, listen, cuz, because they were in some way related. Listen, cuz, you should be baptizing me, not me baptizing you. But Jesus Prevented him not. He said that all righteousness may be fulfilled. Beloved, it's important that we are baptized. There is a washing. There is a regeneration of the Holy Spirit when we are baptized. For them, baptism was our symbol of repentance. But for us, baptism is an identification with Christ. His life, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Baptism is very important. A reminder remind a couple weeks ago, we was at a one of the ladies in our life group at her home, ministering to her son, and he was pricked by the ministry, of the Holy Spirit ministering to him, him through some of the saints. And he said, literally, in essence, he was saying, okay, I believe, I believe. What must I do? And one of the ladies in our group says, I believe the Lord is saying, you need to be baptized. You need to be baptized. You know, when the Holy Spirit brings conviction, he also brings conversion. And he said, yes. I mean, we're at somebody's house now. <laughs> and, <laughs> and immediately, we baptize him that moment, that hour. I'm telling you, beloved, there is a great meaning in baptism. It should not be delayed nor denied. What is Advent? We've been talking about Advent. Advent is a time to repent. Advent, one of the themes this year is a time to repent. The overarching definition of repent is wrapped up in one word. And we've been talking about it all morning change. Change. It's wrapped up in one word. I'm gonna to present to you a quick word study by Dr. Marvin Vinson, written in 1888. In the Greek, the word repent is a comp- compound word which means metaneo. Metaneo. Meta meaning after. And the verb neo is to perceive or to think different. It denotes by after and different thought. The whole compound of the word metatoneo is in essence is to think differently after. Dr. Vincent goes on to say that the preposition of this word combines two meaning, that is time and change. And that's what we're talking about, a time to repent time and change, which is consistent with the second Sunday of Advent. And that is a time to repent, or better yet, a time to change. To repent is therefore primarily an afterthought different from the former thought, which results in a change of mind, which often issues regret and in a change of conduct. In the words of Paul, for godly Where's Paul? Paul says this, for godly sorrow produces repentance that leads to salvation. To John the Baptist, being sorrow was only verbalization, but bearing fruits of repentance was, actual, was actualization. That was his message. What God has granted us, he has granted us a gift. Repentance, believe it or not, is a gift from God. It's a gift. The gift to repent. To Israel in Acts 5, 31 and 32. It says, him God has exalted to his right hand to be the prince and savior, to give repentance to Israel in the forgiveness of sins. And we are his witnesses to these things that so also in the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those who obey him. The gift of repentance or to give repentance, the word to give simply means to grant or to allow, to bestow freely, willingly, and lovingly. It implies of giving of a gift of great value. And that's what the gift of repentance is. It is of great value before the Lord that we will be granted this gift to repent and turn to him. In Acts 11, verses 17 through 18, and this is the same gift to the Gentiles. It reads, If therefore God gave them the same gift as he gave us when we believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? And when they heard these things, they became silent. They glorified God, saying, then God also granted to the Gentiles repentance to life. This is the father's heart. This is the father's heart that we will repent. You know, there is three aspects of the will of God. There's a sovereign will of God. Jesus coming back, returning his arrival. That is sovereign. That's the sovereign will of God. There's the moral will of God, the moral law of God that he gave to Israel. And then there's the desires of God. His heart desires that he desires to be filled. It comes from the Father's heart. And Second Peter 3.9 provides a framework of that, that he desires what his desire is. The chapter has the context of the second coming. The advent of the Lord, Jesus Christ. And the question is, where is the promise of his coming? And Peter answered in verse 9, saying, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise. As some count slackness, but he is long-suffering towards us, not willing, not willing, not willing, that none should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Not desiring anyone to perish, but all will come to rep- repentance. The Lord is not slack that Jesus is going to return again and he is going to fulfill his promise. And those who are questioning in that context of that whole chapter, they question where is the promise of his coming? Where is the promise of his coming? Like many of us, you know, we, we get tired, we get get burnt out, and there's a time where we feel like, you know, I just want to escape out of here. Where's the promise of his coming? And he answered them: is that God is not willing that none should perish, but they all should come to repentance. That word willing is the same word, want, desiring, longing. And we also see the father's heart with the lost sheep and the lost corn and also the lost son. And in that text in Luke 15, if you ever read those three parables, it talks about the angels are in the presence of the Lord. And when one repents, what happens? All of heaven rejoices. All of heaven. The angels rejoice. And the only way the angels who are in the presence of God could rejoice, because I believe they see the Father's heart, he's rejoicing. When one repent. I believe the word of the Lord for us this hour is that we need a spirit of repentance. We need a spirit of repentance to truly change. I want us to go back to Matthew 11 chapter. Matthew 11 chapter. Excuse me, Matthew, the third chapter, verses eleven. And as I was praying this week, I just felt overwhelming spirit of repentance, spirit of contrition, spirit of brokenness, and I just began to cry out to the Lord, "Give me a spirit of repentance, spirit of repentance." that would cause us to truly change. In Matthew th- chapter 3 and verse 11 through 12, it said, I indeed baptize you with, the w- with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winter wind fan is his hand, and he would thoroughly thoroughly clean it out, his threshing floor, and gather his wheat, how many know we are his wheat, into the barn, but he would burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire, and I begin to pray, Lord, what is that, and I've read every commentary I could find, what is this fire, many thought it was the fire, the tongues of fire in the book of Acts, but this fire is two things. The spirit baptism of fire is two things. And this is what the spirit of repentance is, is that it is the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. In Isaiah, the fourth chapter, go to Isaiah quickly, and we will return here. And I never saw this text before until I was exposed to it. Isaiah, the fourth chapter, and we'll look at verse I believe it's verse two. And I'm almost done. All right, if I can find Isaiah. Amen. In Isaiah four, verse two. In Isaiah 4, verse 2, and it refers to the return of the Lord, the branch of the Lord. In verse 2, it says, In that day, the branch of the Lord, referring to Jesus, shall be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. And it shall come to pass that he who is left in Zion and remain in Jerusalem will be called holy Everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. Verse 4. When the Lord has washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her mist by the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning, then the Lord will create above every dwelling place of Mount Zion and above his, her assemblies a cloud and a smoke by day, and the shining of a flaming fire by night for for all for over all the glory there would be a covering. And verse four is my text here is that the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning. You know we need to ask the Holy Ghost. We need to cry out and say, Judge me, Lord, Judge me. God is always going to judge you righteously. Listen to me, not with shame, guilt. He's going to always judge you righteously because you are the righteousness of God. And he's going to judge you according to the righteousness of Christ. And we are to cry out, Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit, judge me. Show me my ways. Show me my heart. Show me those things that I don't see. And the next question is that he will bring the spirit of burning when we allow that, when he shows us something and we say, yes, Lord, emphatically, yes, Lord. Okay, I'll deal with that. And for some of us, the spirit of burning is a process. But if you put that on the altar, guess what? He would burn it up. He would burn it up. If you put that on the altar when he judges us, when he shows us, and we place that on the altar, the Holy Spirit, the spirit of burning, he would burn that up. In that same chapter in Matthews three, Jesus give light up, John gives light of it, is that he want to burn the chaff, and that's what we want. We want him to burn the chaff away, burn it away, set it afire, that we may be wheat in his barn. in closing that's the power of repentance the power of repentance is a transformed life it is transformational it is conformational the word conform means to be like and that is that is his ultimate objective to transform us, to continually change us. A repentive life is where He is continually changing us and rearranging us and conforming us into the image and likeness of Him. You know, in 1 John chapter 3, around verse 1 and 3, it says that when we see Him, we should be like Him. And those who have this hope, this expectancy of seeing Him, purifies themselves with this hope. And that's the grace and that's the benefit of looking to Jesus in his return. That we purify ourselves when we allow the Holy Spirit to judge us righteously. And we allow the Holy Spirit when we bring those things to him to the altar and burn those things up. A repentive life under the authority of the Holy Spirit produces the spiritual fruits of repentance, which is Holiness which is sanctification, which is purity, which is integrity, which is righteousness, which is the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, long suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. This is the fruits of repentance, the spiritual fruit of repentance. The posture of a repentive heart is that it's tender. That is broken. There is no one in the Bible I can think of outside of David. In Psalms 51, I wish we had time to read the whole text. But when I read Psalms 51 again, I just wept. And I just cried out, Lord, cleanse me, wash me, give me a clean heart. Renew in me a right spirit. This is the spirit of repentance. Why Advent? Why Advent? Why a time to repent? John makes it clear, and even as Pastor and others have echoed from this platform, is that we're preparing ourselves for the Lord's coming. And when we prepare ourselves for the Lord's coming through repentance, the spirit of repentance, not the law or the letter of repentance, but the spirit of repentance. Under the auspicy of the Holy Spirit, we're lovingly we're straight paths for him to come into our hearts. And that is our heart cry. That's why Advent cannot be treated as, treated as a traditional event. It must be a spiritual experience with the Lord. Even as we, every week, we say, wow, you know, I hear echo this in, my, in our house. Why are we taking communion again? Why are we doing communion again? You know why? That's the spirit of repentance. It's that we saying, Lord, we're preparing our hearts for your arrival. When we take time for spiritual introspection, inventory, what are we doing? We're repenting. We're doing reassessment, realignment, reevaluation. That's what we're doing. We're saying, Lord, we want to be close to you. We want to be near to you. We're saying, Lord, we don't want to break union. Communion is this. We don't want to break union with you, Lord. So when we come and dine at the Lord's table, repentance, we're quick to repent because we don't want to break union with him. Stand to your feet. Thank you, Lord. And that's why we commemorate this time, this second week of Advent, as a time to repent. And we understand that this time to repent is a, really a repentive life, a repentive life. It's a time to re-examine, reflect internally, to readjust to realign to return to reevaluate a time of rebirthing and every time you pray to God is also a time to repent so father we just thank you lord that these times of repentance translate into times of refreshing as acts 3:19 speak of Let it be times of refreshing. Father, every time we repent, every time we turn to you, let us allow the spirit of judgment and the spirit of burning come and a spirit of repentance. And Lord, as we relinquish those things, let it be a time of refreshing in your presence, in your glory. Lord, we truly want you, Lord. It's all about you. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, that you give us opportunity every time we pray and seek your face, that we can lay it before you unashamedly, without judgment, because you always judge us righteous. Father, we're grateful and we're so thankful for this time as we commemorate the first Advent of your birth Lord Jesus and we posture our hearts as a people as a family for your return again and because of this hope because of this expectation because of this anticipation you're purifying us you're sanctifying us that when we see you glory to God we will be like you Father we honor you Jesus, we honor you. Holy Spirit, we honor you. And we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen, amen.